Um, thank you all for coming this evening. Um, and welcome to the, the seventh presentation for Oxford Transitional Justice for Hillary Term. Um, and it's, it's a real pleasure for me to be able to introduce um, Professor Cynthia Milton, who has come, who's flown in from Berlin to join us today. So thank you very much for making the journey. Um, Cynthia works on the history of the Andes, and, um, and particularly, and I think what's, what's relevant for our discussions today, on historical representations of violence in Peru. And, and she draw, has a sort of a broader background in, in perceptions of poverty and uh, um, perceptions of poverty in colonial Ecuador. If I got that right, um, in which um, and sort of from that, she's a, she's the author of the award-winning book, The Many Meanings of Poverty, Colonialism's Compa Compacts and Assistance in 18th Century Ecuador. So it's really from a from a historian's perspective that you're that you're coming into these sort of discussions of of transitional justice. So. Um, so as we always really value a um, multidisciplinary approach, so really, we're really looking forward to that. Um, in addition to this, uh, Cynthia is also the, the recent editor of, of the forthcoming collection, The Arts of Truth-Telling in, in, in Post-Shining Path. And, is that right? Post-Shining Path Peru. Post-Shining Path yeah. Peru, thank you. <laughs> and, um, and she's currently undertaking a research fellowship and is generally the chair in Latin American history at the University of Montreal. So it's from that perspective that she's going to be speaking to us tonight about before, during and after the war, narrative constructions in the aftermath of Peru's internal war. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Nikki, for the action. Thank you, Emily, for assisting my arrival, Francesca as well, and Lee for the invitation. Um, as Nikki just said, I'm involved in a couple different projects. Uh, one of the projects I'm talking to you is on Friday. I'll make a plug now at 5 o'clock at the Latin American Center. Completely different topic. It's on the uh, meanings of poverty in, colonial, in a colonial context. Um, but today, I'm speaking uh, about artistic representations in uh, Peru, uh, which is part of a, this talk I'm giving today is a work in progress. It's a, it's a small nugget in a larger um, project. And the larger project is about artistic representations in general after violence and how historians, uh, I'm arguing in the larger project, could and should make a visual turn in, in, uh, in our analysis of, and our writing of these pasts. So, uh, for, uh, I don't know how, people, how familiar people are with Peru, so I'll just assume not and play it safe. Uh, Peru's in South America, <laughs> and from 1980 until 1995, uh, 2000, uh, Peru underwent a civil conflict. Some people refer to it as the internal conflict. Other people refer to it as the political violence, and um, some people as a civil war. And in this conflict, various armed groups were pitted against each other, including the state, uh, while exacerbating inter-community tensions. Um, there was a truth commission held there from 2001 and 2003, and uh, based on more or less 17,000 testimonies. And they came to the conclusion that 54% of the violence was committed by the armed group Shining Path, and 35.6% by the forces of order, meaning the armed forces and the police and then their subsidiaries. Um, they estimate that over 69,000 people were killed in this conflict. 
um, and that the majority of the victims of the dead and disappeared uh, were non-Spanish speakers, 75%. And uh, in a Peruvian context, that means that they were largely people of indigenous descent. And most of these victims came from the rural regions, <coughs> the mountainous areas, uh, or the highlands. Like most conflicts, the subsequent national historical accounts are confused, limited, and partisan. And while the work of the Peruvian Truth Commission is in many ways exemplary, it faced challenges and limitations. And in today's Peru, uh, the work of the Truth Commission, the, the Comisión de Verdad y Reconciliación, the CVR, is largely disparaged by Peru's political elites, and few governments want to touch it or really do anything with it. In the ongoing national debate over the past, local memories, that's memories in the highlands, are often elided or sidestepped. In the absence of strong government um, initiative and commitment to studying this past, non-governmental organizations have played an important role in disseminating the findings of the Truth Commission and encouraging local groups to make heard their memories about the warriors in hopes that these groups would exercise their rights within Peru's fragile democracy. One of the key techniques or methods used by NGOs in fostering human rights and in the context of transitional justice is art. This artistic production takes many forms. Uh, there's the knitting of a kilometer long scarf called La Chalina de Esperanza, the, the Scarf of Hope. Uh, they're painting murals in community centers, creating local museums, teaching participants to sew Chilean-style arpilleras, holding art works, uh, workshops, among many other endeavors. So in today's presentation, uh, I want to look at three bodies of artworks. Um, the first series of artworks is the Concurso Nacional de Dibujo y Pintura Campesino. The first is a uh, national contest for drawing and paintings that was held in the 1980s by a consortium of NGOs. Um, and over, I think it was about 14 years, consecutive years, they held this art contest in Peru. And it produced over 7,000 works, uh, of which 3,500 um, are in a cultural uh, center in Lima. And the participants were largely uh, from humble professions. They were small-scale farmers, laborers, housemakers, carpenters, artisans, bricklayers, and the like. Uh, the second contest that I'm looking at is Rescate por la Memoria, or Recovered Memory. Um, and this was also held by a collective of NGOs, some of them being the same uh, NGOs as the previous contest. Uh, it was held in Ayacucho um, towards the end of the Truth Commission. And again in 2003, and then again in 2004 uh, in the city of Ayacucho, where the previous one had been the province, and in the city of Huancavelica. And in this, there's some 607 works submitted. Uh, many of the participants uh, were fairly young, meaning that they were children during the violence. And then the third body of work I'm looking at for this paper is some 40 arpilleras. These are Chilean-style um, textiles that were created in workshops held by an NGO uh, along with some other NGOs called Redinfa. And this is an NGO that works with uh, Highland women and children uh, in 2002 and 2008. So I'm looking at these three bodies of work uh, with three specific 
um, points of, of discussion. One is I want to look at these works and art as a technique used by NGOs to promote the sharing of memories and the instilling of a sense of human rights. I want to look at the narrative and plotment of transitional justice in these artworks. And finally, I want to look at the local meanings and adaptations of the language of transitional justice uh, in these artworks. Okay. So... Art has been employed around the world as a transitional practice to bring marginalized people, uh, mainly women and children, into the process of democratization by having them recount their experiences and in the process inform them of their place in a sphere of universalized human rights. I'm not certain as to when art became a practice in, or in the transitional process. If anyone has any ideas on this, please let me know. Um, but it, it has been used as a technique for social repair, recounting, and empowerment. Um, as far as I can tell, there, were, there are no examples of individual or collective art sponsored through organizations in the wake of the Shoah or Vietnam or um, World War II. But there is, of course, art produced um, by professional artists, uh, by individuals as well but again, not within the context of, of NGO work. Uh, by the 1980s, however, it is clear that, that this has become a technique. We see it in post-conflict uh, mechanisms for repair in the wake of Cold War-induced wars and conflict in Central America, for instance. Yet it's only relatively recently that social scientists, in particular anthropologists, have taken a visual turn to consider these visual forms as possible sources of information and objects of study. What is also clear is that art is often present in our contemporary pursuit of justice, truth, reconciliation, reparations, and repair. Reams and reams of paper, buckets of paint, boxes of pencil, scraps of cloth, bundles of wool, needles and thread, um, have been wielded in the service of stitching, depicting, portraying a traumatic past and a hope for a future where human rights becomes the norm. The idea of empowering survivor groups through artistic practice seems present around the world in post-conflict and ongoing conflict regions. And reading some of the reports from the, that emerge out of the workshops, art seems to be a successful technique for reaching affected groups and for working with them to discuss their pasts, their daily lives, and their visions of a of a future. As stated by Red Infa, one of the groups that I'm looking at, uh, in their project description, they hope that art would help repair and uh, entrench more deeply human rights. Thus, for them, art, the art itself, the actual arpilleras that are produced, are secondary. It's the process of working with the women and talking with them that is the object of, of the exercise. This paper, um, which I'm happy to distribute to anyone who wants it, by the way, I'll give my email again. Um, this paper seeks not to question the use of these outreach methodologies or their results, but to pause for a moment in our truth-telling rush and our justice cascade to look more closely at the content of the work produced in these workshops to stop and read them. 
uh, read them for what they are telling us about the past, the present, and the future. That is, rather than seeing these artistic productions as a tool for working through the traumas of the past, I'd like to see the past, the present, and the future that are depicted in them. Such a close reading might help us to better implement changes sought after by participants, but as well, and this is the aim of my paper, to help us as uh, memory and NGO workers, academics, and activists to understand more fully the experiences recounted. Um, I'm going to skip over a part of my paper where I give the history of um, art as a technique uh, in the Highlands. Um, but what I do say in this section is that the art is used uh, originally, different techniques are used to uh, for teaching agricultural practices and then later for assisting people in voting and how to vote and where they need to go to vote. Um, and then we have the contest, the first contest that I look at, which is the National Contest for uh, Peasant Art and Drawing in the 1980s, which is meant to be a bridge between Highland uh, Peasant Campesino Society and um, the, the Creole Mestizo uh, capital of Lima, a bridge between the to sort of bridge the cultural divides in Peru, and then I go into how from that contest we get to the Rescate por Memoria, the recovered memory contest in the transitional justice period of the Truth Commission, um, and show how these two contests are in fact linked by having some of the same NGOs and some of the same <coughs> uh, uh, participants and structures. One of the things that these contests have in common, uh, the national contest for drawing and painting and the recovered memory contest, is that the organizers view this art and using art as a kind of testimony of getting at the voice of peasants and rural folk. Um, and Academics also have this tendency, and we've stressed the importance of these works as testimonials, testimonial. Uh, in our desire to let the objects of our study speak for themselves, we attribute an ethnographic and documentary va value to locally produced art. Um, in the case of the 1980s National Art Contest, the organizers remarked that it's a visual register and testimonial of contemporary peasant reality in Peru. Similarly, in the 2000 uh, art contest in, in the wake of the Truth Commission, the organizers comment that it's a vision of events during the armed conflict. We have to be a bit leery of such a direct correlation between what is depicted and lived experience. We should note, for instance, that the themes in these contests, um, or in these works, coincide with classic themes in ethnography. Uh, for instance, uh, organization of communities, gender, territory, environment, uh, traditional ceremonies. Um, the later workshops in post-Truth Commission uh, Peru uh, similarly uh, have, a, struct have a, um, a theme, and that's of the armed conflict. The recovering, uh, recovered memory contest was on memoria, verdad y reconciliación, memory, truth, and reconciliation. Thus, the, the, um, the shift is from a com contemporary peasant reality to memory, truth, reconciliation in the highland communities uh, of, of the internal conflict. 
The later contest of the recovered memory uh, artwork implicitly combined the primary experience of trauma with testimony. And while there's a field of art that addresses traumatic memory, it's not clear from these art contests if the intention was to use art as a medium for overcoming trauma. Like the title of the post-Truth uh, Commission contest, Recovered Memory, um, that title might have been chosen because of a general awareness of a psychological condition, but it does not seem that the contest organizers had any intention to retrieve buried memories, as in recovering memory that's buried deep, um, such as memory, childhood memories that come to light in adulthood. Indeed, the entries, the artwork, suggest that these memories were never buried, uh, but rather that they were under-acknowledged by general Peruvian society. Rather, the participants' entries suggest an urgency to bear witness in the sense of testimonio, that of denouncing or condemning injustices. In their entries, participants attest to what they witnessed and the structure, they structure these memories in an artistic narrative addressed to specific audiences, that is, to the judges who evaluate the works and the bystander community that was neither a direct victim nor a perpetrator of the violence. Okay, the choice of art forms for recounting experience of living through violence is worth considering. The choice of privileging drawing and painting in the national contest of the 1980s over more local and established art forms such as retablos, which are these wooden triptych boxes, or um, squashes, the painted gourds of the, the mountains, or the tablas, um, they, by choosing drawing and arting, art, drawing and, uh, sorry, drawing and painting, they were giving preference to outside cultural expressions. Uh, they were aware of being, uh, that these, the use of the pen and the paper was that of the conquistadores, as they say, uh, while other art forms uh, were more established modes of highland cultural expression. Indeed, one of the consequences of these art contests and other NGO workshops might have been the teaching of these Western methods of representation and narrative structure, whereby the form of expression might also influence the content. Furthermore, while such techniques of expression might solve the ethnographic problem of how to promote self-representation, the fact that these artworks were produced for specific consumers might in fact lead to an exoticization of participants and their work. The later art contests in the Post-Truth Commission continue to privilege Western forms. This is the Rescate por la Memoria uh, contest, the second one. Um, they had drawing and painting as well, but this time they added historietas, or comic strips, uh, photography, and written stories. But importantly, they also added more traditional modes of representation, in particular song and poetry, as submission categories. Interestingly, song and poetry seems to appeal particularly to female participants. This raises the question of whether the choice of artistic modes on offer in these workshops and contests engenders and generationalizes the kinds of memories told. For instance, comics, historietas, might appeal more to younger participants 
and poetry and song to women and the narration to men. And in all of the entries for this, the second contest, the Rescate por la Memoria, the Recovered Memory, children make up the majority of people who are children during the war make up the majority of the participants. Um, and because of their youth, um, they're, they're giving a certain generational memory as well. Our consideration of how the media may influence the message recounted raises another possibility beyond gender and age. Perhaps the very techniques we are using to help communities and individuals to work through their traumatic pasts and foster a sense of inclusion in the present for a better future, we are structuring the temporality of these narratives. We have to be aware of an important teleology of these techniques on individual and community highland experience. Indeed, in our choice of memory methodologies, are we influencing the narrative that clearly marks out distinct temporal periods? One that says before was bad, i.e. The, the, the war was bad, and that the future will be better. Another word of caution comes from Hayden White in his essay, Historical Implotment and the Problem of Truth. White draws our attention to a potential problem, that the narrative structure that we choose, comic, heroic, tragic, parody, redemption, among various possibilities, we imbue different meanings on real facts. That is, we can use the same facts and end up with completely different stories, depending on the narrative structure employed. We need to take into consideration his cautionary words. We need to consider how implotment, the trope of transitional justice, uh, just like tragedy or parody, may render different narratives of the past and ask how our methodologies of memory work are in fact shaping the narratives of the past, present daily lives, and possible futures. Such a concern is beyond the well-discussed problem in transitional justice literature of thinking we can reach any kind of complete truth. But look specifically at the problem of how transitional justice processes themselves, the narrative of transition, i.e. a before, after, and later, or before, during, and, and after, might be implotting the kinds of truths told. That is, while we acknowledge that local communities are well-versed in the language of transitional justice and NGOs speak, we must also recognize that there are TRC effects in the art produced. So let me give some examples of narrative themes possibly implotted into artistic works because of the context of transitional justice in which they were produced. And here I focus on four interpretive themes. Uh, the first two pop to point to possible implotment, and the second two suggest the limits of such implotment. Um, for the first theme, I'm looking at the nostalgia for a more beautiful past, and uh, the second theme is a, the TRC-generated optimism for a happy present and a bright future. And the third asks who is responsible for the violence, and the fourth is the limits of reconciliation and the meaning of social repair. So, let's go to the image. Okay, so for the first theme, Nostalgia for a Beautiful Past, 
In many of the entries for the Recovered Memory Contest uh, is the portrayal of a more bountiful past of war as arriving suddenly, out hitting the community unawares. Then, almost as suddenly, peace returns, yet in the wake of the war there is much economic hardship and frustration. The hope is for a brighter future. Perhaps because so many of the works uh, in the Recovered Memory Contests are from individuals who were children at the time of violence, many of the submissions reflect a strong sense of nostalgia for their childhood and their past before the war. For instance, in this comic strip, uh, My Family, uh, the artist describes in seven frames the happiness of his family. So here we go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? And then suddenly, in the, eight, or in the third frame here, this is what you have, Felix, the artist, was a very happy child, right? And then suddenly, in the eighth frame, the military arrives, and the father begs for them to, to uh, take mercy on him. And then the last frame, the ninth frame, is a single grave. Um, this romanticization of the past where they have enough to eat, or they've got fields to sow and, and cows to milk, um, this romanticization of the past might reflect a child's perspective of, uh, of peacetime despite hardship. The artist at the time of the contest was 29 and he was, at he was 10 at the time of the worst violence in this region. However, this nostalgic return to a past before the violence erases the root causes behind the initial success of Shining Path in the Peru Central South Highlands and the endemic poverty that these regions suffered before um, the war, thus giving rise to the war, and also uh, the, the poverty that has happened and is a consequence of this war. This romanticization of a bright past is also visible in the uh, textiles, the, the red infa arpilleras that I'm looking at. This is just a, quickly to give you an example of what the arpilleras looked like. They're divided. The, um, the workshop was called before, during, and after. And so the artists do a section that's before, during the war, and after the war. And the women don't, this is a Chilean uh, style of artwork, and the women had to be taught how to do it in order to participate in the workshop. Um, but this is the before scene here. And in these uh, arpilleras, the before scenes show people, the community in a happy circle, and some of them, the community members are waving out to us, um, and they've got you know, fields to tend to and animals, and, and everything seems pretty good. Um, which leaves us with the question, well, why then the war? Of course, all, not all paths are so idyllic, in the National Peasant Contest, uh, suffering dates back on a much larger historical continuum than, than that covered uh, by official mechanisms such as the Truth Commission. For instance, in this uh, piece here, what they, do, what they show is the, war, uh, the hardship and suffering dating back and as a consequence of this, uh, the Spanish conquest. Um, the artist has divided his, his drawing into three frames. The first frame shows a conquistador riding a horse, uh, a, a technological advantage that was previously unknown in this region. Uh, he, he's slaying uh, Indian uh, Inca warriors. 
while a building burns in the background. And the second frame shows the Peruvian military coming in similarly with technological advantages, the machine gun, gunning down peasants. And the third frame, perhaps uh, the present, which in this case would be 1992, but given the date of the painting um, is unlikely, it's more likely a picture of the future, shows happy, healthy individuals embracing and shaking hands. In the background sits a prosperous town. This bright future is the second theme that's potentially implanted by um, the transitional justice uh, um, processes of these workshops and contests. Um, and that's of a bright, uh, a present and a bright future. In the works produced, sorry, I've got my images backwards, here we go. In the works produced during and right after the Truth Commission, there is a feeling of optimism that emerges. Take, for instance, the drawing before and after by Gomez Carrasco. He portrays simply the years of political violence, 1980 to, to, 1990, to 2000, as black. The present is filled with the colors of the Peruvian flag, red and white, with happy beaming faces gathered around the nation, a new Peru, a nuevo Peru, telling the spectator about how good life is in the present, saying things such as, Papa, never again will you be apart from me. The difficult times are over. Of course, Don Ujolio, these are new times. Mama, look, we're together again. How pretty you are like this. We work for our children. Enough with hatred. Let's unite our efforts to build a promising country for all Peruvians where everyone is treated equally. Yes, where everyone contributes and we all get ahead. The language of transitional justice and the euphoria of the transitional justice period is less obvious in the next um, example. Nevertheless, uh, a similarly hoped for and peaceful, prosperous future without discrimination is envisioned. In this painting, uh, remembering in order not to relive it, or live it again, a woman, perhaps a self-portrait, uh, with a young girl in her arms, is surrounded by her memories of suffering. Uh, which stand in stark contrast to that of her daughter who was born after the war and thus thinks only of full crops and of going to school and eventually graduating. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying that these works are entirely scripted from above by NGOs, by dominant culture. Um, rather, what my, my remarks are simply meant as a cautionary note. Um, they have a strong testimonial value and they can tell us about the past and importantly they debate in the present what happened in the past. Here I turn to the last two themes uh, of my talk as a means to illustrate why social scientists should take a visual turn on our analysis to include art as historical evidence in our analysis of the past. Um, they illustrate uh, and so I'm just going to go back to here so that I've got something to look at. Uh, these next two themes illustrate uh, the limits of the scripting influence of transitional justice or transitional justice language. In other works, I've discussed what art can do that other forms of truth telling, in particular more formal official uh, modes, may not be able to do. 
and what this art tells us that is different from the more official narratives. Let me give a brief example, the contestation over who was responsible for the war and to what extent as a means to contrast the more official uh, truth-telling mechanisms with, with art. So who was responsible for the violence? The second contest, the recovered memory contest, draws upon a common pool of visual reference. Uh, many works show animals, birds, religious symbols, skulls and bones. Uh, paintings of identity cards and passport-sized photos represent the disappeared. These common reference mostly testify to human rights violations. They illustrate two agents or two actors in the violence, the armed forces and Shining Path. Though some works show uh, communities caught between uh, these two, two fires as well. For the most part, these works depict alone either the military or Shining Path. Yet participants do not portray these two actors equally. It is noteworthy that the participants in the art contest made severe abuses by the armed forces, the subjects of their submission, rather than those committed by Shining Path. Of the 44 drawings and paintings in the 2003 contest in Ayacucho, 32 depict murders, torture, battles, and other human rights violations. Of these, 20 testify to abuses by armed forces, five to Shining Path, six to both agents, and one to local defense uh, groups, ronderos. The remaining drawings show general scenes of, of, uh, of suffering, suffering. The emphasis on human rights abuses committed by the forces of order, the armed forces, the military, the navy, the police, stand in contrast to the findings of the Truth Commission, the Truth Commission accorded 54% of the cases ending in death and disappearance to Shining Path, and the armed forces and the police were found responsible for 35.6%. Why would participants choose to depict more scenes of violence by the state agents over Shining Path? It's complicated, and there are lots of potential explanations and interpretations. Maybe contest participants saw the NGO consortium and judges of the contest as agents that could transmit their grievances to the state. Participants may have considered the audience, including fellow community members, as more likely to hold the military <coughs> accountable for their acts than trying to bring the elusive shining path to account or to make reparations. Perhaps the abuses at the hands of the armed forces remain sharper in their mind than those committed of Shining Path, or perhaps the violence committed by the state seemed a greater injustice since the armed forces were supposed to protect citizens rather than harm them, or perhaps Shining Path was their neighbor. Or perhaps, as many researchers suspect, the Truth Commission numbers for state violence are too low. By documenting and denouncing state violence, the participants present the world upside down where citizens are the victims of state representation. The brutality of the armed forces comes to light. Um, the brutality of the armed forces made them like Shining Path. Thus, in one uh, painting, a dark hooded Sinchi, he's a... Uh, a soldier, uh, holds a flag of shining path and shouts, 
Viva la patria, carajo. Long live the state, goddammit. Uh, what, what I argue in the paper where I talk about this painting more is that he, he's, he's acting like a Shining Path member. And so the, the artist is conflating or making a, um, an equation between the military and Shining Path uh, violence. The view that the military was more responsible for the violence is also found in the, um, the, uh, the, the textiles that I look like look look at, um, but they're not alone. Uh, we do see again. I'm not entirely sure how to interpret these, and I'm working with some people on it. But these figures in the coin. This is most likely Shining Path here because of the red flag that they're holding, and also there's an expression uh, "ellos que andan por la noche," those that walk at night, which is a reference to Shining Path would migrate uh, at night, so as not to be detected. The last theme I'd like to point uh, to discuss is reconciliation and the disappointing present. Um, here we see more clearly where the language of transitional justice reaches its limit in local contexts, especially when the initial euphoria about the TRC has subsided. Much of this NGO-promoted art immediately in the aftermath of the Truth Commission was about memory and truth, yet there are noticeably few entries about reconciliation, despite the contest's subtitle of Truth, Justice, and Reconciliation. A few years after the CVR, the present and the future seem uh, much less bright. It is noticeable that in the later uh, contests, the theme of reconciliation is nearly absent. So I'm talking about the recovered memory contest, the first one being in 2003 and another one in 2004, and then there's actually others too. Um, in the later contests, the theme of rec reconciliation is, is nearly absent. So in the original contest, uh, reconciliation appears in just a handful of works, uh, three in fact. And in this one, you wouldn't even know that it's about reconciliation, except for the title ha has, <laughs> has it in its title. Um, there's another one with a picture of a dove, and then there's the winning contest that, um, that the artist uh, ha has attached a description that talks about reconciliation, but you don't ac actually necessarily see it in the, in the artwork itself. Um, in the following contest, a year later, uh, the, the contest participants are even more pessimistic about the chances of reconciliation. Not a single work raises the possibility overtly. Though some of the participants uh, state uh, that the damage is irreparable, as the title of this work, uh, Descaros Irreparables, uh, suggests. Reconciliation thus is not a central question in these artworks, despite the heavy emphasis on this from NGO and transitional justice mechanisms. Rather than reconciliation as a path to social repair, it is the theme of poverty and the need for economic betterment that seems to be the path to social repair. For instance, a pessimism shrouds the work uh, planting seeds on our dead, where a seemingly childless couple toils to grow crops on ground under which they have buried their dead. 
Uh, similarly, justice is not just about holding perpetrators to account, but rather justice is access to markets for local products, adequate schools for regional children, and the end of marginalization and exclusion, as expressed by references to the future uh, in some of the paintings that we looked at previously. So with a distance to the Truth Commission, reconciliation uh, does not appear to be a sought-after goal uh, in, the, in the Arpilleras um, as well. Um, the members of this NGO made an interesting uh, comment on, they were looking at the art, the, the tapestries with me, and they pointed out the fact that the colors are different that somehow that the colors in the period of uh, before seem brighter than the colors, oh, definitely brighter than the colors of during, but still brighter than the colors of, of now. Um, and they say that, uh, that, that this is a sign of things are getting better, but not what, as good as they could be yet. Um, but we also can see, since we have these textiles from 2002 and 2008, we can also see a difference in the pre presentation of after, of today, of present aura. So here is the after the war in 2002. And it looks pretty desolate. There are very few people. There's no crops. There's a couple ducks, and that's about it. And there are no men. Um, if you go to later, 2008, description of now, we see it says mujeres organizadas, women are organized, and there's more activity going on, and they have a, a health center, and I guess this is a school, and they've got some crops going. Things, things look better. Um, and then when you go to how they envision the future, say in the future, we're, uh, we're demanding reparations. So it's the the thing here is not it, the thing here is about economic stability, um, not 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 other not something else. So just some concluding words to wrap it up. Um, by considering the methodologies in play, the use of artistic and visual representation techniques by NGOs, uh, we can perhaps interpret these paintings in a more accurate way. That is, if we reconstruct and uncover the mechanisms and conditions under which these paintings were produced um, and the agents that produced them, and if we take into consideration the content for the themes that are possibly scripted uh, by NGOs, for instance, truth, justice, and reconciliation, and we see how such themes are depicted or altered and at times omitted, we can study the complex relationship between local memory expressions um, by individuals and communities with public policy expectations put forward by the NGO world, uh, schools, media, and museums. Thus, I argue, we witness in this art negotiations between the participants and their communities and NGOs over the meanings of the past, the present, and the future, how to envision them and how to exhibit them. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much.